0: thing. It was excellent, um, and you did a really good job. So, um, I didn't, okay, I'm, I'm just going to say that I did plan to finish this series on the last Sunday of 2021, <clears throat> but I didn't. It just kind of worked out that way. Uh, we've been going through First Peter. Uh, for those of you that knew at Grace Life, we don't do any topical sermon series. Everything you do is chapter by chapter, book by book, verse by verse, and. We've finally come to the end of our series on 1 Peter. The series is titled Remember the Cross, and this week the message is Remember Together. So a question for you. How much of your interaction with the church has been with just Americans? Have you ever had the privilege of spending significant time with Christians in other parts of the world? Several years ago, I got to go to a little village, a Peruvian village, high in the mountains. I think it was like 10,000 feet or something. I could barely breathe most of the time. It was pretty. And it wasn't really um, nothing, it was really nothing more than a village full of native South American Indians. Most of them did not even speak Spanish, they spoke Quechua which is an ancient Peruvian language before the Spanish even ever invaded South America. Life was very different when I was there for those 10 days. It was quite an experience. But the experience that I had with those precious brothers and sisters in Christ had a massive impact on me personally. This is an actual picture of the basketball court there in that village. I played basketball on that court. As a matter of fact, they gave me a nickname. Well, they didn't, but the missionary that brought us who actually spoke Spanish, they called me Blanco Michael Jordan. <laughs> true story, true story. I think I think they were being serious. I don't think they were making a joke. I think my game's pretty good, but <clears throat> so I spent 10 days with these precious believers who loved the same Jesus that I did, read the same scriptures, embraced the same cross. They were passionate about the gospel. They were passionate about loving their neighbors. They were passionate about proclamation, integrity, and industry, the things we've been talking about all through this series, about what the priesthood looks like, those who proclaim the gospel, those who live with integrity, and those who do the best possible job they can do at whatever job they have. And through a translator, because I didn't speak Quechua, through a translator, we would sit together talking about our Jesus. And I fell in love with these brothers and sisters in Peru. There was lots of love, even though we didn't know anything about one another. It was very impactful. It was very humbling. My experience in this little Peruvian mountain village church started to transform my understanding of what the church is. And as we were there for day after day, helping them build their own little building, I developed some incredibly precious memories, those memories that have helped me. And I've thought of them often as I've worked through 1 Peter Thinking about how, how much different it is for them to walk with Jesus than it is for me. You know, there, if you embrace the gospel, and it's not Catholicism or some other version of not the same as what you think of Catholicism, but some other different type, you get ostracized from your family. You could lose a job. So I was thinking about them a lot as we went through First Peter. Look at our passage; the last five verses of today's of the of the whole book. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing, resist him meaning evil, the devil, resist him firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. By uh, by Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, Exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So, what we do at Grace Life is we take each passage, we break it out in three ways. First of all, we look at the history of the passage and answer the questions what was man doing and why and how did he do it? I've entitled this section, Family of Strangers. So many first century Christians you have to understand many of them were slaves or people who were sick and ostracized from society. They lived their whole lives in one corner of the Roman Empire, one little town, one little borough, one little village, one little city. They didn't have the resources to travel very far. They only heard about other Christians from other people, but didn't know any of them personally. Their only source, really, for what the church looked like outside of their little world were the early church leaders, like the apostles and their teams who would travel with their letters all over the empire, like Peter and Paul and John and James. They met people, these apostles and their their team, they met people, they planted churches, they taught what Jesus had taught them, and they became the only information conduits between all of these churches. And all of them had different cultures and different backgrounds and different values and different ways of viewing the world, but the apostles were the glue. Paul took as many as seven missionary journeys. He had more personal knowledge about the global church than anyone, the apostle Paul. No one traveled as widely as he did. But they all wrote letters and sent them through messengers and sometimes delivered them themselves. But then we see something else that begins to happen. After we see this apostolic glue, we also see something else happen, that these people start sacrificing for each other. For strangers they've never met. These messengers, messengers, they carry these letters that provide all the church news that's going on in different parts of the empire. They tell stories about what's going on somewhere else, talk about stories of how people have come to Jesus and and how they were converted and the change that's happened in them. The challenges that they were facing weren't unique. The whole church is grappling with the same issue that is, persecution from Nero. They would tell the the really incredible stories of how persecution others had faced had destroyed their lives sometimes, and also what they would need to continue to survive the persecution from other churches who maybe didn't even know they existed. Like, for example, when the Jerusalem church was going through all of its tremendous persecution, not just from Nero, but from religious leaders, Paul raised money for them. Did you know that? He raised it from non-Jewish churches in other parts of the empire, like the one Peter is writing to in our letter that we've been studying for the last 20 weeks. Matter of fact, here's what Paul says in Romans 15. He's writing to the church in Rome, which we'll talk about a little bit later. I'm going to Jerusalem Bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia had been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. What Paul is really saying is the saints, the church in Macedonia and Achaia, Achaia have given me money. You should probably give me some money too, so that I can take it to the poor people in Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering and don't even have food. I mean, it's beautiful if you think about it, right? These are complete Gentile strangers giving money to an apostle for suffering Jewish believers they'd never met. They weren't giving it to other Gentile believers. They were giving it to Jewish believers. And it makes it even more fascinating, if you remember early in the church history, the conflict, which was Jews said, well, Gentiles can't become Christians, and if they do, they have to become Jews. And there was that whole conflict there. But all that is past now. And now they all love one another, even though they never met. They're sending each other help through the apostle Paul and the other apostles. You know, this is miraculous. miraculous. It's ridiculous, and think if you think about it, how connected and unified the early church in the first century was when it had really practically no earthly reason to be. People from completely different backgrounds never met each other, hundreds, sometimes thousands of miles away. And then once Paul was martyred and Paul died, Peter, who wrote this letter we've been talking about, and John, took over to fill that void of apostolic glue and connection between the churches. And they started traveling themselves and sending their own assistance with their letters. And I love what each one of them does. Each one of them gives these personal touches. In all their epistles, Peter, James, John, Paul, apostles often mention other people in other churches. To remind the readers, you aren't alone. There are other people who believe just like us in different parts of the world. Matter of fact, Paul says this in Philippians. He says this near the end of the book of Philippians. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. He's talking about people who believe in Jesus who were part of Caesar's house. So these personal touches would include greetings in their letters from others who might have visited them in their areas at one time or another. But think about it these people haven't seen any pictures. All they have is what the apostles or the apostles' representatives have told them. There's no Facebook. There's no, like, you know, church in Achaia Facebook page. All they know is what they've heard from the apostles. There's no magazines. There's no Christian TV channels. There's no air travel. It's all done by traveling witnesses who've said, I've been to this church. I've seen what they've gone through. I've seen what they've learned. I've seen what's happened when Jesus impacted their life. You can understand why these believers started to take great interest in this growing legend of what is going on in the rest of God's kingdom. They want to hear these stories about other believers. They want to know they're not alone. They want to know what other people have faced. How did they endure it? What did they do to fight this temptation? Or or what did they do to fight this danger? What is God doing? We want to know what's going on. We want to know about new Christians. This is all very exciting stuff. And think about this. This whole movement of apostles traveling, churches sending money to one another they'd never met, it's crazy, right? It's all based upon this firsthand account of the story of Jesus who died and was resurrected, something none of them actually witnessed, but the apostles did. Yet they have embraced the gospel. They've embraced those whom they've never met as part of a larger bigger spiritual family. It is, humanly speaking, an inexplicable global unity among believers from all different cultures. It is, in fact, to this day, I don't know if you realize this or not, but even professors would tell you this, it is a sociological miracle. They don't have the same communication standards that we do today. No printing press, even. Yet there's this massive global sociological unity. The second section we usually talk about is the spiritual section, which is more like theology. What about God and what did he do? Paul tells them he wants them to resist evil together. He starts off in this passage, he says, for a while. He says, for a while you're going to suffer this persecution. And he closes out this beautiful letter letter with one final encouragement. Stand firm, resist the enemy, resist the evil, and suffering for just a little while isn't about a time frame. It's not like you're going to suffer for a week, get over it. It's not what he's saying. It is actually a perspective, a comparison of our earthly suffering to eternity. That's why he reminds them of the the eternal attributes of God. He says, you're going to suffer for a little while, but then at the right time, God will establish you affirm you, confirm you, and lift you up. And then he says to him, be dominion forever and ever, a beautiful reminder of God's sovereignty and his eternal authority, his timelessness, Just like he taught in the earlier chapters. For those of you that have been here for the whole series, you've heard it. You know, Paul taught this same concept too. Very famous verse in 2 Corinthians. For this light momentary affliction, it doesn't mean like it's just a day. It means it's just for this life. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. See what he does there? A comparison of suffering on this earth with eternity. Peter is inspiring faithfulness through focus on the eternal, universal qualities of what? This massive kingdom of heaven. If the church is going to stay faithful in the moment, they must learn to live with eternity in mind. Suffering is something they need to expect and anticipate. In fact, it would be silly to think you could live for Jesus without some sort of suffering is what Peter is saying. They must see that there is a kingdom beyond their own corner of the world. They need to strive to live for that eternal world that is to come. Remember, that's how Peter actually began the whole letter. If you remember back to our very first message, he tells them they are a part of something greater, something bigger than themselves. One of the things he said was in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into light. Remember that? Church, that's what Peter's been doing this whole time, giving them a greater theological, practical context to walk as followers of Jesus. And he says, You're not alone. Remember this verse in 1 Peter chapter 1, the very first verse, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, and then he names like four other cities. And I think in the first sermon, I butchered every one of the names of these little Greek cities, right? I I butchered them all. I'm not going to say them again. He says, you are part of the chosen exiles, remember that word exiles, very important, of the dispersion in, and he names all these different cities In the empire. But Peter reminds them their experiences are something every church in every part of the world is experiencing. And he gives them two tangible examples of why they're not alone. First is a large group that they would have known and heard about. And then he gives them some specific individuals that they would know as well. First, he says there are greetings from she who is at Babylon. What does he mean by that? He's driving home this idea of a unified global sociological miracle, this movement called the church. You know, ancient Babylon was an infamous historical enemy of the Jewish nation. Associated with all the exile they had. Babylon had conquered their land. This is centuries earlier. Babylon had conquered their land and took the Jews out of their homeland and sold them as slaves around their empire, which was the known world at the time. So many Jews actually had begun to see Rome as another example of Babylon. So, an association with Babylon is the empire that they associate with exile. Hence, the language in 1 Peter chapter 1 you are elect exiles. Many Jews had started to see Rome as Babylon. She is not one woman. She is a reference to the church, the bride of Christ, who is at ground zero. It says, she who is at Babylon. What is that really saying? The church that meets in Rome, right under the thumb of the evil Nero. She is the church, the bride of Christ, at ground zero of Nero's persecution. Can you imagine being that church? I mean, as bad as this church that Peter's writing to might have it, they live in Rome where being a Christian means you get caught and executed or thrown into a den with lions or burned as torches for people's night parties. I've shared with you some of the horrible persecution that was taking place. This is the church that Peter says sends you greetings. The church in Babylon in exile that is suffering worse than you, by the way, sends greetings Then he points to some individual people that they knew, a man named Silvanus, who was actually the person who carried this letter, was probably one of Peter's secretaries, and then he talks about Mark. If you guys remember when we went through our Gospel of Mark, that was actually Peter's account of the Gospel of Jesus written by Mark for him. He points to Silvanus and Mark as role models of everything Peter has taught them in this letter two people from other parts of the kingdom of God that these readers have met, and these people are examples of the faithful priesthood. Two people that are personally resisting evil, fighting the same spiritual battle, facing the same persecution they are. When you're down, when you're defeated, when you're overwhelmed, look around. You're part of a flock with so many others that have been there. God is accomplishing incredible, holy, perfecting work in you and everyone else in the church. Keep your eyes on the real goal of eternity. Look, it's the same for all of us. We all have this same struggle. You're not alone. All of God's chosen royal priesthood is facing the same onslaught together. God is working in and through his whole church all while the suffering and all while the attacks to us are happening. And you're going to need each other, not just those you know, but those in the church you don't know. You never know when they are going to be the ones to provide what you need or you're going to be the one to send what they need. You need everyone together. No one church in one country or one city is stronger or better than another. They are all necessary to be surviving. Pray, encourage, support these other churches whenever and however you can, because one day you're going to need theirs. Even if you don't know each other, do this. So as we close out our series, I want to talk about the personal section. What about us? What are we supposed to do and why and how do we do it? I called this "called to something greater. This was my social media sermon preview this week. The church was never intended to insulate us from our, or our families from suffering, but to prepare us to thrive in suffering. Look, what God has done and is doing in the global church is miraculous. It's a source of inspiration, a source of clarity. It's also an important source of our calling. Sadly, many American Christians can't see it. We're obsessed with our own experiences, and we live selfishly that way. We become obsessed with our own struggles, our own families. We even become obsessed with our own liturgy of how we do worship, thinking that's the way it should be done. We even get obsessed and distracted by our own unique American experience, and an amazing one it is, this is not a hate America speech, I love America, I'm as patriotic as any of you, but this is why so many American Christians spend so much time angry, obsessed with politics or culture wars. Some go as far, we're so convinced that America is the center part of everything God is doing, we, some people go so far as to interpret through American eyes, convinced America has prophetic role in the scriptures. I'm just going to break the news to you as we start our Revelation series right after 2 Peter. America does not have a role in the scriptures. Some people don't like that, but it's a fact. We don't want much to do with the sufferings of Jesus. Not for ourselves, our church, our community, or our country. In fact, we've come to expect the church to insulate us from all the things that might be going on in the rest of the world And we want to make sure the church meets certain perceived spiritual needs. And because of that, many American Christians, we live our lives oblivious to the experiences of our precious global brothers and sisters. Think of the fellow believers around the world who don't even know where their next meal is coming from. I'm not talking about pictures of hungry children. Of course, that's bad too. But I'm talking about people who worship the same God as you. They don't know what they're going to eat next. Those today around the world here on the Lord's Day, Sunday morning, that must meet secretly, because there are still governments who want to arrest them for it. Those around the world who have been made black sheep and ostracized from their family or community because they have decided to follow Jesus. I have a dear friend who's a missionary in a village in Indonesia on an island. And whenever somebody becomes a believer, they are cut off. Look, don't feel bad. I know I said a lot of stuff, and wow, the American church is really bad. But in reality, the apostles did the exact same thing. Thing when they were walking with Jesus during that three years and he was teaching them. They also were obsessed with a patriotic worldview instead of a kingdom view. Do you remember? Remember how upset they got when Jesus started spending time and teaching and healing Gentiles outside of Israel? Remember that? When he crossed the Sea of Galilee and he was preaching and teaching the Gentiles and they said, Jesus, what the heck are you doing? These aren't Jews. Get back to where we need to be to really build this movement we're talking about. Remember how upset they got? But here's a fact. I love this verse in Hebrews. Since we are surrounded by so many witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him was inspired to endure the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God, right hand of the throne of God, But here's what happened to the apostles. After the cross, after the resurrection, they realized they had been called to something far greater than this patriotic Christianity. They'd been called to a global, royal priesthood. And we too are part of that something greater. This is what 1 Peter has been talking about. He's been trying to get our mind out of what we think we should be and have it be bigger and broader. What if we learned that there was something full of promise that we were supposed to live for, although it would require much more sacrifice than we are used to giving? What if we learned that walk with Jesus and his flock with the big picture in mind was the most important thing? How would that change things for us? What if we exchange, and, and listen, I want to make sure I clarify this. I, I'm proud to be an American, but what if some of our American patriotism was exchanged for kingdom of heaven patriotism? What if we began to understand we need believers in the rest of the world as much as they need us? I've heard it said many times, well, America is the greatest sender of missionaries, Actually, that's not true anymore. It might have been at one time. But before that, they were sending missionaries here. What if we realized, if we understood eternity better, wouldn't it be more difficult for the enemy to draw us away from the flock? What if we realized we are just one small part of the kingdom of God? What if we began to live with kingdom priorities over personal or patriotic ones? What if we really started to understand the difference between what's best for our country and what's best for our Savior and our kingdom? How do we do that? What is the name of the series? It's Remember the Cross. Paul writes this in Romans 14. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Church, this is how Peter wanted the church to live as a community of brothers and sisters who remember the cross together each day. So why don't we? Why do we drift from the flock? Why are we tempted to drift and become targets for evil? Why do we struggle with our calling as priests who are good at proclaiming, living with integrity, and work with eye-catching industry and ethic that other people notice why is it that our priorities as followers of jesus get so out of whack why do we lack the inspiration we need why has your spiritual growth become stagnant it's not that we have forgotten jesus I mean, you're here this morning, which means you do believe in Christ. and You know he's your Savior. You know he's Lord. So it's not like you've forgotten Jesus. But we have become, in many respects, not just you, but as a, as a church community at large, bigger than grace life. We've become isolated individuals trying to play a team sport all alone. We have forgotten how Jesus called us, made us his own. That our lives don't belong to us anymore. They belong to him. You've forgotten how he called you to become an integral part of a community of believers who learn, live, and serve together. Church, this is what 1 Peter has been teaching us. That once you became a child of God... You cannot live alone any longer. You might think you can, but you won't be able to and still thrive. So start every day. Remember going back, I explained why we had the mirror on the personal section of this series. When we get to the personal section every week, you'd see the slides change, and there's that mirror with the cross hanging down, the rearview mirror. We need to start every day by looking back. Start every day by remembering the cross. And when we do that, remember the family the great shepherd has called us to. And stay with the flock because your adversary walks about like a roaring lion seeking those he can devour. This is what the church should look like when times get tough. A healthy church is not one whose people are comfortable and never suffering. A healthy church is one that when suffering comes, they know where to run, right to the center of the flock with the great shepherd. Heavenly Father, this series has been such a hard challenge, not just for people to hear, but for me to preach as I Write it every week, and I'm convicted by where I'm falling short. Lord, there's so many things that you've shown me in my personal life that I needed to fix. And I confess I haven't fixed them yet, but I'm I'm trying. I know one thing that I'm gonna do is I'm I'm gonna make the flock a greater priority in my life, in my schedule, in my time, and my talent, and my treasure. Lord, we confess to you that we would like to walk with you alone, but that's not how we're designed to live anymore. Lord, I pray that we would be inspired by something greater than just our little corner of the world. And just as this early first century church was miraculously unified and connected, even though they didn't know one another, They never saw anybody on YouTube or anything like that. They were all connected. Lord, help us to become more connected, not just locally, but begin to live as a church who understands that we are just one small part of something far greater than ourselves. And in that, Lord, we pray that you would inspire us to live sacrificially, protecting our unity together so that we become priests who proclaim, live with integrity, and work with great ethic and industry. And it's then when we can begin to learn, whether it be through grace groups or here on Sunday morning or other groups that we get together with or Grace Life Recovery or other things, that we would begin to learn what it means to live, learn, and serve together. We thank you for this beautiful letter. We thank you for the Apostle Peter and his ministry to us even 2,000 years later. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys. Uh, Don't forget, next week is the breakfast because this room will be getting brand new carpet, which is exciting. And then we will start 2 Peter for about six or seven weeks. And then it's on to Revelation near the end of February. How about that? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm excited as you are. Have a great week. (laughs)